know, usually it starts with um, online advertising, um, you know, the, the traditional sites like Indeed or um, ZipRecruiter or some of those things. I actually have have found that the local university was a good source because this was an innovative machine. I, I really do like to give back. Um, I'm a mentor at the local university of North Carolina's School of Entrepreneurship and their business school here. Uh, Cameron School of Business, which is an excellent business school at UNCW. Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Gather podcast. I'm your host, Zeke, and this episode I have Paul Barron, the founder and CEO of The War Printer, to speak about his business. You can find more information about The War Printer by clicking the link in the description below. Hope you have a nice day and enjoy the show. I'd like to welcome you to the Let's Gather podcast, and thank you for your interest, and I give you the time to introduce introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, good morning, Ezekiel. I am Paul Barron. I'm the founder and CEO of The Wall Printer, which is a vertical printing business that makes business opportunities for people who want to deliver wall art um, to their communities on any wall, indoors or outdoors, schools, residential restaurants, event spaces, medical offices, any place there's a wall. Our machines can print on it, and we create businesses for people to service their local communities with providing nice, beautiful artwork onto any walls, indoors or outdoors. That's my current business. In the past, of course, I'm no youngster. I've got 70 years behind me, so about 50 years in the work communities. And I've founded several different businesses over the years, um, had my ups and downs, um, done everything from retail to um, sporting goods stores to restaurants to um, call centers to various other industries that I've either worked for other companies or founded myself. Nice. So let's start with how did you start your current business? What inspired you? Well, this kind of culminated about three decades of my representing foreign companies who wanted to try to find their high value audiences in the United States. So I represented a Russian technology company for about 10 years that provided audio and video technology to businesses who were creating devices, just like the Zoom call we're on. They created the video that is necessary under the covers, so to speak, to create this experience. And I would license that to companies like Microsoft and Skype software so that video was enabled. Then there was um, other technologies that they offered as well. And I represented them putting an American face on their products, um, helping them articulate the value to American equipment developers that could benefit from using their software. After that completed about 10 years, that was a great relationship. Um, We still have no reflection on current politics um with uh with russia um but the people wonderful people and uh had a great relationship we still exchange birthday and christmas cards so that continues today but in 2010 i finished that relationship because i had grown the company to about as far as it could go and they were actually creating exits for some of their uh divisions um into uh, being purchased by other companies in the u.s and with that said i developed a type of a reputation for being able to take a foreign company's products 
and help them find their customers here in the United States or their vendors, partners, strategic relationships, whatever would help those companies grow, sometimes by revenue, sometimes by finding talent, sometimes by finding strategic partnerships, um, whatever they needed to grow in the United States. And there was an Australian self-service dog wash that I represented, an Austrian baby bottle um, that was an innovative design, a headband headphone for children that was manufactured in China. Um, and I did very well as a hired gun, so to speak, a commissioned salesperson. And I really always wanted to have my own businesses. I did own my own businesses earlier on in my career. Um, and even though I was making a lot of money as a commissioned salesperson for these companies, I didn't have the control that I wanted in my business life. And so I retired a few years ago. And I was always looking, always looking at different things. And once again, a company approached me, it was a German company that approached me with their product. And this is no disrespect to anybody in your audience with German heritage. I drive a BMW. Um, I value, I cook with Henkel knives. I value a well-engineered product. But just because something says it's made in Germany, you don't automatically say it's worth twice what something else is worth that might have comparable or even better value and features. Um, and that was the case with the product that I was approached to represent in the United States. It was a very interesting product, but I could not make the deal with the company. I had never seen anything like it. It was a what was what is called a vertical printing machine, which is basically a inkjet printer on steroids, so to speak. Um, it's a machine that uh, goes up and down the printhead as opposed to your desktop printer that is all self-contained and prints on a piece of paper. Um, this is a machine that was exposed to the wall. And as the printhead moves up and down the wall, it prints a picture. Uh, any digital picture, it imports and prints on any wall surface. Uh, all you need is a, a flat wall. It doesn't even have to be perfectly smooth. You can print on brick, concrete. So this was a really cool machine, and I had never seen anything like it. But since I couldn't make the deal with the company because I wanted to buy the product and buy the company, or at least become an investor in the company, uh, and they just wanted me once again to be a commissioned salesperson and help represent them in the United States where they had never approached yet. And so uh, I did my homework. And I found out that there were only five companies, Ezekiel, that um, made this type of machine. There was the German company that approached me. There were two Chinese companies. Chinese don't only copy us. They copy themselves when they see something cool and interesting. Um, so there were two companies in China. There was one in Australia and one in India. Five companies in the world that made this type of machine. The originator of the technology was one of those Chinese companies. After kicking the tires, so to speak, of all five of them, I learned more about the machines and the technology. And in order to create a business for people, which was my goal, to find something that would create business opportunities for people, it turned out that the originator, the originator of the technology, one Chinese company, had the best technology that I had found. And they were receptive to talking to me because they, they like all the other companies, none of them had come across the pond, so to speak, and approached customers in the United States or even anywhere in North or South America. So I saw this as a great opportunity. <clears throat> I invested heavily in it uh, to today uh, worth, <clears throat> excuse me, we're three years, <clears throat> three years into the um, business. We have more than 100 customers with 120 of our wall printing machines out there. We now have created a floor printer as well that can print on floors, any kind of digital artwork. And, <clears throat> and now we've, we're growing businesses for other people throughout Canada, the United States, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and South America, and the Caribbean. 
And those are all the territories I own and support out of our warehouse and factory in Wilmington, North Carolina. We manufacture our own inks to support our customers, uh, provide warranty service and um, training and everything else they need to be successful. It's not a franchise. We don't reach into our customers' pockets and take revenue from them. We don't tell them what they have to call their business. It could be Brooklyn wall printing. We, in fact, have a wall printer in the Brooklyn area. Um, we uh, And in Staten Island also, since if, if your audience doesn't know, I just learned you're in Brooklyn. Um, so we do have two wall printers in the New York metro area. And we're expanding. As I said, we have 100 customers in territories throughout um, our Western Hemisphere today. And that's where we are. Um, it, we're all about providing successful business opportunities for people who want to take control, or perhaps they're in a business like a painter or a general contractor or an artist, a muralist, who wants to deliver something else to the customers they already have that could appreciate some kind of wall art. And that's what we're all about. Nice. That was a lot. That was <laughs> Like I said, I'm an old man. I'm 70 years old. I have a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> nice. So I want to, before we continue with the wall printer, I want to talk about how you're able to take a foreign company product and then translate it to the United States. What kind of, that's not an easy thing to do to translate between countries <clears throat> idea. So what goes into that? Well, like any business, um, if you if you're willing to take a risk on something, whether it be just taking a job, or moving into a new city, or opening a business. It requires three basic elements, in my opinion. Time, talent, and treasure, I call. Um, you need the time to be able to think, is this the right thing for you? And to research the market, and to determine whether or not there is an opportunity. Do you have a solution to a real problem? Um, is, there a, is there a gap in the market for something that you can provide a better solution, or a different solution than what otherwise people have available to them today? Uh, so you have to take the time to do that. And then you need the talent. So if, if I'm going to introduce a product that nobody's ever seen or heard about before, just like I did, um, you need people who are going to be able to learn how to use that product. It can't be just me. I'm only one person. And to do everything that I plan to do for creating a business, you need people for technical support. You need people for marketing. You need people for sales. You need people to um, service people. Um, and uh, then you need your accounting, you need your financial, you need your legal aspects, especially when you're dealing with a foreign company. Um, again, I, I co-own three patents now with the Chinese company, which is very unusual for an American company to co-own patents with a Chinese manufacturer, but it speaks to the relationship that I was able to form with this company. Um, so you need that talent and everything else that goes with it. And then the treasure, time, talent, and treasure. How much money is this going to cost? Some things you can do on a shoestring. It may not need a lot. It may need just the talent, but some things may require. I needed a warehouse. I needed a place to put these machines. I needed to hire people. I needed to get insurance. I needed to feed my family. These are all the things where the treasure comes in. Um, I was fortunate that I had uh, the ability to go ahead and make this type of a decision. And I was willing to take the risk, do the market research, hire the best people, um, you know, people always ask me, you know, what makes a good leader it kind of goes along with your question on, you know, why, why or how would you do something like this? Um, my answer is always the same. The best leaders of companies or businesses are people who are smart enough to hire the best people to do a job, but then wise enough to back off and just let them do it. Um, and so, so that's all part of it. And I was willing to do all of that. And so far, so good. 
Uh, we've grown in a three-year period of time, as I mentioned earlier, to put 100 new businesses in place, and uh, we're continuing to grow, and uh, hopefully it'll continue. Nice. Definitely is important to let the people that you hire to do do their work, do their work. Yeah, I mean, we have a. I've been very blessed. I have a very good um, team. Um, they all communicate with each other. They work well together. They party well together outside of work. Um, all of that is important. Everybody needs a work-life balance. Um, you know, I, I, I also am of the belief that everybody should benefit when the business prospers. Everybody should prosper. So everybody that works for me gets what we call a piece of the action. Um, there's profit sharing. Um, so, uh, I think that's a, that's a good incentive. Um, you know, somebody said to me a long time ago, Ezekiel, when I thought I wasn't being paid well, um, in a job that I had, <clears throat> and they said to me, you know, Paul, um, one thing will be sure if you work for me, I'll always make sure you're being paid more than anybody else will pay you, but you will never earn what you think you're worth if you don't work for yourself. And because what goes along with the risks and the people who take those risks and create the businesses go the rewards. Also goes the penalties of not being so successful. I've had learning experiences. I was in the restaurant business in New York for 12 years, did very, very well, sold my interest in my restaurant to my partner, <clears throat> moved to Florida because my parents retired and moved to Florida. And I thought that's where I wanted to be from New York. So I moved to Florida and I opened up a restaurant down there. What I made in 12 years in New York, I lost in one year in Florida. I didn't do the market research. I didn't take the time. I had partners who had a different objective in mind than I did. And I lost a lot of money and I had to declare bankruptcy. And that was a low point financially in my life. But at the same time, I was confident in myself, other people. I was blessed with having a good network of people, friends, and family that got me through that financially to the point that I was able to then find something else again. And that's where I got into a software business. I developed a little software product and that became a big winner. Um, and that's what started me on my way to be this communications consultant where I found the Russian company and they found me. Um, and that became the journey for the next 30 years to where I am today. So every, every, every path is not a trajectory up or down. You just have to really respect the, um, and enjoy the journey um, and know that there are going to be people you're going to see on the way up. Be good to them because they're the same people you're going to see on the way down. Yeah, definitely. So with the war printer, you started in 2019 and then we had 2020, which was the beginning of the pandemic, and you were still able to work and maintain. How how did you get through the pandemic? Well, some people might think, myself and my wife included, might think I wasn't the smartest kid on the block when I decided to invest heavily in a company and a product that nobody had ever seen or heard about before. And that was, as you just correctly pointed out, Ezekiel, in November of 2019. I got my first shipment of machines, several hundred thousand dollars invested um, in just the machinery, not to mention the territory that I own, which is all of the Western Hemisphere, uh, and the rights to be able to market to that and be the sole distributor for these, these markets. Um, and here I was in January of 2020, like you said, the pandemic hits. Nobody can travel around. Wall printing business was not something like um, Burger King or McDonald's or, uh, again, we're not a franchise, but using those as examples of, of fast food services or a plumbing or pest control 
or you know a signage shop, anything that people knew what they were. Um, nobody knew what this was, uh, and so uh, so there I was with all these machines and uh, investment and. Nobody's traveling. Nobody could see this. Um, certainly, if they did buy it, they couldn't go to somebody's home or restaurant or something to do a wall printing because places were closing down all over the place. People were working remotely. However, I believe that when you've got lemons, try to make lemonade. Um, and so uh, I said, well, here are all these people um, that are um, working at home or being laid off, maybe rethinking their lives. So whereas everybody else was laying off people, I started hiring. The first people I hired were my technical support team to learn how to use these machines and how to support customers if and when the good graces of God and the pandemic powers uh, would allow me to get customers. Um, and so uh, I built up the technical and customer support team. I also built up my social media and marketing team. And I decided to go ahead and use social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, to communicate with video and messages of what vertical printing was, because it is something easy to articulate through a video. If somebody wants to go to thewallprinter.com, our website, it'll only take you 30 seconds on the website to really see a machine working in a video and understand exactly what it is that this business is and what the machines do. And so uh, we had to articulate that. And it was easy to do through social media, very inexpensive, really, to utilize those, relatively speaking, as opposed to going to trade shows, which there were none. There were no industry events for me to bring this product to. But people were stuck at home. People were being laid off. So I had an, I really had a captive audience of people who were searching the internet for their own lives or having the time to do that. And so people were seeing this and people were asking about it and people were uh, inquiring and filling out our contact form and wanting to learn more about what is this vertical printing machine and what is the business opportunity? How much does it cost? You know, when they realized we, we get today and we've, we've gotten every day for years, about 150 inquiries every day, 140 of them see that this is a $30,000 machine, a piece of commercial printing equipment. Um, that on, in a scheme of things is really not that expensive, but it's not your hundred dollar desktop printer from Hewlett Packard or, uh, you know, Canon or Epson or something like that. This is a commercial printing machine. And there are commercial printing machines that signage people use to do vinyl stickers and signs and things like that, um, that cost $150,000. So, uh, in the scheme of things, it, it's a, a moderately priced product. Um, but for $30,000, 140 of those 150 inquiries I get every day say, no, that's not for me. But maybe some of them say, you know, I don't want to buy the machine. I don't want the business. But maybe I know a wall that needs to be printed on. If not in my home or business, maybe somebody else and they refer us to somebody. But 10 of those 150 are people who understand the value and the opportunity of the machine. And they fill out the form to get more information from us and to have a call just like you and I are having today. Ezekiel, with your, you and your audience, and they we arrange a Zoom call and we introduce ourselves and they tell us who they are and what they're doing today uh, that may or may not be in anything related at all. In fact, the less people know, the better. That way we can train them on how to use the machine successfully and they don't have the clouded outlook from some experience that they think might be appropriate, but is not. Um, and so that's the way our business has grown, basically through social media and the pandemic. My long-winded way, apologies to you and your audience. It's typically how I answer things. I try to get it all in. 
Um, but uh, during the pandemic, this was a good thing for us for starting this business because it gave us the opportunity to really introduce the product to people through social media. Uh, now we have several million people who have seen this over the last three years. Uh, we're really, when I say we have, a, I'm very proud that we have 100 customers, but that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. You know, there's a there's a lot of opportunity out there in all of North and South America, and we've just begun to really enter into the marketplace. Next. And so, like, the pandemic gave you time to slowly introduce people to the product, and then they can make the decision for themselves what they want to do with it, if it's just something they look at or something they actually invest in. Correct. And once they've made that decision to invest it in, invest in it, because now we do get people traveling to us every day of the week, coming to Wilmington, North Carolina, to meet with us, to see the machines in action. Or we have plenty of customers. They can talk to other customers to see how they did, what our support is like. Very proud of our team. We give great customer service and support uh, and training to our, our customers. Uh, and uh, we help them succeed. And uh, that's that's the way And I think any business needs to grow needs to grow. You need to support your customers. You need to get good references. Um, you need to uh, make sure that they're successful. If they succeed, we'll succeed. Nice. And you mentioned building your team. So how did you have you build your team over these years for each business you um, started and worked in? Well, uh, you know, usually it starts with um, online advertising. Um, you know, the, the traditional sites like Indeed or um, ZipRecruiter or some of those things. I actually have have found that the local university was a good source because this was an innovative machine. I, I really do like to give back. Um, I'm a mentor at the local university of North Carolina's School of Entrepreneurship and their business school here, uh, Cameron School of Business, which is an excellent business school at UNCW, uh, which is the University of North Carolina in Wilmington. Um, beautiful university. And so we 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 look to that school to give us interns and they start out. In fact, my first couple of hires were interns from the university that worked for me in prior businesses that then when I started this business, they became full-time employees for us once they graduated. Um, but I still have interns today from that school and uh, it's, it's a great source uh, of getting good employees. And then people who are experienced with the technical aspects that are required for machines like this which do have computers inside, and they require people who really enjoy working with um, machinery and puzzles, so to speak, because a lot of it, everything came into us in Chinese. We had to convert everything, or we had to translate everything to English, French, Canadian, Spanish, Portuguese, all the markets I service in North and South America. And so we had to go ahead and do that and then find people who, uh, who could help with the support of customers, not only in the sales process, but also once they became customers, to be able to support and train them in their native languages. So that was also an aspect of hiring people and identifying what skills they had that would fit our business. So, but that's all, generally it was it was through the traditional um, hiring um, and then some word of mouth. I've, I've taken on some people um, that, uh, that found us because uh, they were referred by somebody else who works for us. Nice. And to, since you mentioned mentoring, how is it being like a mentor? What's like the feeling you get when you take on a new mentee or you give advice to people? Well, so the University of North Carolina has what's called the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, CIE for short. Um, and 
Uh, and there's a lot of people in the community, probably about 50 people in the community who wear certain hats better um, uh, than others um, in various areas that are uh, critical or beneficial uh, for a business to be considered. Um, that could be, I wear the sales and marketing hats, customer acquisition, like as, as I described earlier. Uh, those are the things that I do well. I don't like the financial aspects. I don't like the hiring and firing and managing of people. I don't like legal. I don't I don't know a, a lot of this stuff. And unlike some people, I know what I don't know. And I don't talk about things that I don't know about. Some people like to talk about everything. I stay in my lane, which is what I encourage people to do, um, and then find people who have those talents. So the, men the mentors are people that are a mix of all those various skills that are um, and the needs of any business. And then when people have ideas, they could be students, faculty, other people in the community who have a business that maybe has a growing pain and they can't find, they, they can't decide, you know, which way to go with either customers or product development or offering a service or a decision that has to be made. You know, do I buy another truck for my cleaning service or something? Um, and they and they go to, to this Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship because these services are available free of cost to the community and uh, and we offer our time. Um, as opposed to, well, time and talent, sometimes treasure, if we see a business that's interesting enough that we may want to support. But generally, people aren't only looking for money. They're looking for direction. They're looking for some kind of expertise that they may not have. And so that's what the that's what mentoring is all about. And uh, and I've mentored on about 10 different companies um, over the past couple of years. Uh, you pick companies that are interesting to you. Um, and then we've helped companies get grants. That's a big part of, of emerging and startup businesses, that there are a lot of grant opportunities from the state or from the federal uh, government. And so helping people navigate those paths to possibly getting the money they need to get their businesses going um, or to hire somebody or to go to a trade show or to create a patent on a product, something like that. All these, these resources are out there. Um, and so that's what we do is we try to help people navigate to those resources. Got it. Nice. So, the law printer. Is there anything that we you want to go over that we haven't gone over yet before we continue? No, you've been asking great questions. I hope that I haven't bored your audience, <laughs> um, you know, to this point or you. And uh, but by all means, you know, continue to ask away. It's it's Saturday morning here. It's a nice day. My dogs seem to still still be sleeping, so I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'll say like my reaction to the wall printer was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, I seen a video. It was like, oh, it makes sense. It prints on the wall. first video I seen was like the floor printer. And it was like, you put that like a rug on the floor. And I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. Yeah. So the, these two prints behind me, um, I'm Zoom challenged when I try to point. So, um, but that, there's my dog with Santa Claus. Um, actually, two dogs, but one is black and you can hardly see him. Um, but uh, that's my dog with Santa Claus. And that's printed on paper because my wife won't let me take my wall printer <laughs> on the walls. So uh, the wall printer is designed to print directly to the wall, but it can be used to print on something. So you can print on paper or plastic or metal or glass. This one right above my head is a picture I took with my phone uh, of, of friends. I, these are college friends. They go back 50, one of them 70 years when I was born. We get together every few years. Um, and we were together last year and I took a picture and then this is a picture of a frame that's around the picture that I took with my phone. And then we did a wall printing on canvas 
a lot of people look at this and they think that's a three-dimensional picture on my wall with a frame around it, but that's just a picture of a frame. And uh, and that's on canvas. And then I printed that out for seven copies and sent it all to my friends last year for Christmas presents. Um, but you can print on something. You don't have to print directly to the wall or the floor. Um, and so it's uh, so people can make signs out of it. They can make different things. And we've had people print on laptop computers, print on tabletops, um, print on ceilings because they first print on wood and then put that wood into the ceiling. So you could have a ceiling print. The wall printer itself will not print on the ceiling, but you can print on something that can go into the ceiling. And then the floor printer is a totally separate machine. That's a machine that prints horizontally, uh, downward onto the floor. And uh, you can print um, personalized parking spaces in garages. You can print uh, uh, a shark on the bottom of a swimming pool if you want to scare everybody. Um, you could print, uh, you know, uh, graphics like a logo, um, a sports team logo on a basketball court. Uh, we do have a couple of schools that have purchased our floor printing machine um, who are using it for that purpose and to print signs on uh, billboards around the baseball fields and things like that. Um, so that's the floor printer. Nice. And like, how long does like the work last? Does it like, like when you, once you print? So the inks, are, the inks are what's called UV inks, Ezekiel. Um, UV inks harden like a hard shell, kind of like a, an oil painting would feel. You could actually feel the ink if you rubbed your hands across of it. It dries instantly when it prints. The second the print head moves across, there's a UV heat lamp which dries the ink. Um, and that the inks will last two to three years outdoors as long as the wall was prepared properly, clean of dust and dirt and dry. And again, that's all part of our training of you know how to prep a wall to be printed on. Um, but basically, if you have a wall like the wall that I see in your room, which is a dark brown wall or, or a light wall like this, you could print with our printers um, and, the, and the colors will pop out dramatically um, and, and really look beautiful. Near photo quality, we call it. It's not the same as what you see on your computer screen um, or what these printing shops will get with a vinyl sticker that prints graphics from a $125,000, $150,000 blackbed printer, as they're called. Um, this is an inkjet printer that's spraying ink onto the wall. Um, and it'll last two to three years to answer your question. Um, outdoors, 12 to 15 years indoors. Um, and uh, and if you need to get rid of it, either primer over it or if it's on a surface like glass, you can scrape it off. If it's on brick or or cement or something like that, you can sand it off or power wash it off. Um, but we've had we've had prints on the outside of our building, which is concrete, um, cinder block construction. We've it's on uh, south facing walls that have gone through three Wilmington, North Carolina summers of 100 degree plus days for weeks at a time. And we've gone through four hurricanes. And this is uh, now in our fourth year. And some of those prints that we did at the very beginning to see how it lasts, um, because it's a great question. Um, they're just starting to crack now. And so now we are we have just sanded off one print for the first time in three years um, that just started to crack. So. These these ratings by the ink manufacturers have held up true. Um, two to three years outdoors, twelve to fifteen years indoors. Nice, definitely see the value. Hopefully, and... customers get bored. Hopefully, customers get bored with the print and they want you to do a new one before <laughs> it fades or cracks. And a special ink, special printer. Yep, special inks. We manufacture the inks ourselves. I have two factories today: one in Kansas, one in Florida that manufacture our inks for us to our specifications. 
Our customers must buy the inks from us to maintain the warranty. We don't overcharge on the inks, but we know that if you use our inks, it's the single, the print heads, which are made by Japan's um, Epson manufacturer. Um, they're the world's best print heads for this type of machine. Um, uh, and we use them. And in order for them to work properly day in and day out with the maintenance, we should tell people how to do on the machines, but you must use the right inks. If you don't use the right inks in a printer, it will clog up and then you won't be able to print or worse, you'll ruin a print head, which costs about $1,300 to replace. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's why you want to maintain these machines. <laughs> <laughs> and like, how long does a machine last? Like this machine itself? Well, it's a piece, it's commercial uh, equipment. Um, it, it will last probably, well, we tell people they're rated to last eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like just kind of like what somebody would say, how long will this car last? Um, but at the same or a washing machine or a refrigerator. Uh, but I know I've got a refrigerator in my house that's 15 years old. It works just fine. Um, we do have wall printing machines. When I first took over this business for the United States um, in North and South America back in 2019, at that time, there were 500 wall printers and the business was around for about 12 years. So now the business is around for about 15 years. Every wall printing machine that was sold is still in service today. So there are at least 500 machines out there that are more than 10 years old. Um, and now, you know, now there are about 750 machines out there worldwide and they're all in service. Again, like everything else, you've got to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Or you got to change your oil. Here you have to clean the print heads all the time. So it's just part of the regular maintenance that you do on these machines. If you do it, the last for a long time. Got it. Got any more questions? Uh, I think we can end it there. That was a lot informative. Thank you again. And where can people find you in your business? So if they like to learn more about the wall printer, and this by no means was a sales pitch for the wall printer, <laughs> you know, wanted to describe kind of my journey and whatever people can benefit from that um, in creating businesses. But at the same time, if they do want to learn more about the wall printer, just go to thewallprinter.com, the website. Uh, like I said, it'll take 15 to 30 seconds to see what the machines do. If it's an interesting business or you want to learn more about it, there's a contact form you can fill out and we'll send you information or arrange a Zoom call like this to answer questions and talk more. If people just want to connect with me, I'm always happy to make connections with people. You never know where it leads. Uh, LinkedIn is the best way to do that, to get in touch with me or It's a great professional network. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile or your audience that's listening to this, please create one. Um, It's not an advertisement also for LinkedIn, but that is a good professional network to find people who are doing the same thing you're doing or just to research interesting other businesses and people. So you can find me, Paul Barron, um, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure if you do a search, there may be many Paul Barrons out there, but you'll know which one is me. (laughs) Again, thank you for joining the podcast. That brings another episode of the Let's Get Our Podcast so close. Again, you can find more questions about the wall printer by clicking the link in the description below. For next week, I have Leonard Schneider, the founder and CEO of Geek House, to speak about his business. Hope you're doing this day, and I hope to see you there. Mm-hmm.